Hello and welcome to the second episode in our Destination Zero podcast series with me, James Murray, editor of Business Green. This episode is packed with great guests once again as we drill down into the detail of the H2H Salt End project and its role within the wider East Coast cluster. We're going to be hearing from the senior team at Equinor who are involved in delivering the H2H Salt End project, as well as local residents as they put their questions and concerns to Equinor directly. We'll also hear from local government officials as well as Graham Stewart, who's the local MP. He'll be talking about the importance of policy making to ensure that projects like these realise their full potential. So without further ado, let's get started. I began by speaking to Henrik Andersen, Vice President of Low Carbon Solutions in Norway, and I asked him about the H2H Sultem project and how important it is to Equinor's wider low carbon projects portfolio. It is the jewel in the crown, no, no doubt about that. It is, it is our top top project in, in, in our global portfolio. So H2H Sultem project is, is located in, in uh, Humber uh, at, a, at something called uh, Sultem Chemical Parks uh, close to Hull. And it's 600 megawatt blue hydrogen facility, providing hydrogen to both power and industrial users. And the CO2 is then sent offshore at something called uh, Endurance uh, Reservoir, uh, where it's stored permanently in, in, the, in the subsurface. And what's the current position on that? Because obviously, you know, two, very, two parts of this, you need to build a hydrogen production plant, and then obviously the, the carbon capture and storage infrastructure needs to be there as well. Um, both, as I understand, it's still at the planning stage, at the blueprint stage. What's what's the next steps, hopefully, for these projects? So currently, we are we are progressing uh, towards feed. Uh, the expectation is we can take a final investment decision by 2023 and have the plant open running in in 2026, and that all aligns with the plans of developing the uh, CO2 transport and storage infrastructure. Uh, currently under the East Coast cluster leadership by by BP and NGV. So we align our plants with their plants to, to let's say, make an end-to-end solution, uh, producing hydrogen, capturing CO2, transport and storage, and supplying hydrogen to the different off-takers. And, and it's very much the case that, as I understand it, one has to come with the other. I mean, if, if you haven't got that carbon capture infrastructure, then you're not getting the, it's not blue hydrogen, and you're not getting the emission savings that you need to see. Yeah, uh, CO2 storage and, and uh, carbon capture is fundamental for producing uh, blue hydrogen. And, and in Equinor, we have, we have done CCS for 25 years, starting with Slipeline in 1996. So we are very familiar with this type of solution. Um, and we are more or less combined that, let's say, knowledge of, of storing CO2 together with traditional hydrogen production to create this type of new scheme of producing hydrogen with no or very close to zero emissions of, of CO2. How close is it to zero? Because some people argue, you know, some people are concerned a little bit about CCS, say, oh, you're not capturing all of it. But but how, how close are you getting to that kind of being able to capture 100%? So um, currently, the, the idea is to design a plant with a minimum 95% uh, capture rate. Uh, that means you are, in fact, with the remaining CO2, we are at very low levels, which are within, let's say, we're, we're more or less with that, we, we can achieve net zero. Saying that, we know also that technology will, is under development and we always see indication from other projects that we might be able to push the 95% to even higher capture rates, maybe 97, 98, maybe even 99%. So we are very close to, to creating what we could call a net zero blue hydrogen production. In, in the future. And what sort of emission savings are we are we talking here? I mean, presumably it would depend on who's using it and the way they use it, but what what sort of scale of, of emission reduction would you would you hope to see? 
Yeah, so the H2H Solden project is designed with what we call 600 megawatt hydrogen production. And of course, when you use that in different applications, it results in CO2 emission savings. And we estimated that to be close to, to 1 million ton per annum. To find out more about the project, I caught up with Tongi Cosmo, who is the H2H Solten project director. And I asked him how the facility will work in practice, and in particular, how blue hydrogen is made. Essentially, blue hydrogen, or, or sometimes called low-carbon hydrogen, it's produced from natural gas. And natural gas is 80 to 90% made of methane. And methane is CH4, four molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of carbon. Our plant will then break this uh, this uh, this CH4 in carbon and hydrogen. So we are what we call a, a gas reformer, uh, different technology available on the market. And our plant will then separate this, the carbon, the C and the H. We will capture the carbon made of CO2 and export this CO2 into uh, this new infrastructure developed by East Coast Cluster. And then we get the hydrogen. This This process I want to highlight is not new. It's been used for about 60 years. It's been improving step by step. So it's it's an old industry uh, and a lot of experience and a lot of process improvement I've incurred. What we will bring here is producing hydrogen combined with capturing the CO2, which is kind of a byproduct of this hydrogen to Humber plant. I wanted to hear from some of the other organizations operating in the Humber region. Those who are supporting the local supply chain and maximising the opportunities available through the project, for example, via training and skills. So I spoke to Jonathan Oxley, who is the project lead for the Humber Industrial Cluster Plan and who works for the Hull and East Yorkshire Local Enterprise Partnership. And I also caught up with Katie Hedges, who's Director of Membership and Low Carbon Strategy at Catch, an industry-led partnership in Yorkshire and the Humber. I started by asking them what their respective organisations actually do. So local enterprise partnerships are all about building the relationships between local authorities, the development agenda and the private sector to bolster sort of economic development in the area and to maximise the opportunities around skills, employment, training, etc. for people in the uh, particular area. Um, CATCH are a membership body that represent the Yorkshire and Humber industry, um, particularly the uh, energy intensive sectors in the region and we've been going over 20 years and our members um, represent some of those larger companies that are now leading the decarbonisation of the Humber. And uh, you've worked in this space for some time, I mean how how big as a shift has there been amongst those companies, amongst those members from, you know, arguably the perception was energy intensive companies not always massively on board with the, the net zero agenda and climate action and the like, sometimes even some of them a little bit hostile towards it. Um, and now really at the, the cutting edge of some of these new projects. I mean, have you seen a shift in the, your time you've been working with these organisations? Absolutely. Yes, uh, it's been a huge shift. I think we've always seen our members focused on environmental and safety performance. We've seen them focus on energy and um, energy resource efficiency. Um, those have always been subjects close to their heart for operational excellence reasons. But of course, now the shift is much more strongly to targeting those industries to reduce their emissions. And the net zero target, I think, helped set a direction of travel where everyone's now aligning around that ambition, I think is coming across really well. It's been fascinating to watch the evolution. I mean, Jonathan, same question to you. I mean, how how significant, I suppose, has the last sort of four or five years been with this net zero agenda 
for for the work of, of LEPs like yourselves? I mean, it, it's a fantastic question and building on what uh, Katie was just saying there, I, I think what we're seeing really is a tipping point here in terms of major energy companies and energy users realising the significance of the climate change agenda, the net zero agenda. And effectively, we've reached that tipping point now with various policies and the government's position in the UK here, that, that there is this increasing recognition that to deal with this existential threat, they are going to have to you know, revolutionise their business uh, to respond to a lower carbon energy world. And, and we're seeing that to the, the level of the local enterprise partnerships, particularly across SMEs who perhaps don't have full time teams uh, assessing the uh, their response to the low carbon agenda and the net zero agenda. Cool. And, and just to follow up on that, I mean, that that commitment is manifesting itself in your region with this zero carbon Humber project. Um, again, I mean, how big an impact has that had and how much of your work is focused on on these plans? So uh, all of our work is really uh, embracing the energy estuary. This is the, the Humber UK's energy estuary here and about how we can help the industry in our region transition to a lower carbon world. So we've got some exemplary projects in our region. We're very fortunate to have a number of projects. And today we're talking about Zero Carbon Humber and there are anchor project, the H2H Salt End project. And it's attracting a lot of attention to the extent where at the Humber Industrial Cluster Plan, we're getting other companies approaching us and saying, how can we get involved in, in what you're doing? How can we how can we understand our position in terms of industrial decarbonisation for the Humber? So it's fantastic to have people knocking on our door and asking how they can get involved. Mm, absolutely. Um, Katie, there's a couple within this sort of zero carbon vision. There, there's a couple of kind of, I suppose, keystone projects that, that hopefully underpin the whole thing. Um, one of which has, is the H2H short end proposals. I mean, can you just give us a bit more detail on what exactly they entail and, and, and what the, the, the case is for them? Um, certainly. So, I, you know, the way I see it is that the, to unlock the potential for the Humber, we've got a number of large emitters, as we know the region's the, the, the you know the largest cluster in terms of CO2 emissions. Um, and the, the potential for a, a key project like H2H sort end to cement what the change that we want to go through. Um, you know, we need to embrace both carbon capture and storage opportunities, but equally important is to put the the hydrogen into the system so that, that it's you know the opportunity to store CO2 offshore opens up the blue hydrogen potential. We're going to need hydrogen volume in the system in order to support decarbonisation of industry through hydrogen switching and other other methods so that the two go hand in hand. Um, it's the size of the project. It's, it's key to, to making the, the significant change that we need. Um, we, we, we may get on to talking about green hydrogen and blue hydrogen, but we need both. We need both technologies to be moving forward and that the, the blue hydrogen proposal um, at Salt End is, is a tremendous kickstart project. It opens up and unlocks that potential for, for the region. I think it's very easy to talk about a, a, an instantaneous system reboot of our energy system, a bit like you can do with a laptop. That that just cannot happen. And so what we need to do is to understand how we bridge the bridge the journey to a, a future greener energy system. And uh, projects like the H2H Salt End project are going to be incredibly invaluable in that in that space, not only because of their their bridging ability, but also what we learn from that bridging experience to take us through the world of decarbonisation and hydrogen production. Absolutely. Um, Jonathan, maybe moving on to sort of the, the wider challenges, obviously these, you know, H2H Salt End and some of these other projects, they're, they're in the planning stage at the moment or, or, you know, they're quite advanced in the planning stage. But what is needed to 
get these projects moving forward and and deliver that in investment um, in in the region. I think the biggest challenge around this, uh, James, is is really what I term the three P's. It's around people, policies, and profitability, and it's about making sure that we have the the public in its in the widest sense on board, and that includes our uh, you know elected representatives, so they understand the concept of what we're trying to do here with industrial decarbonisation in the Humber. It's about getting the right kind of policies in in place and and some certainty and longevity around those policies, so that ultimately private sector, uh, in combination with government, can start to look at how you can make some of this industry profitable and, and you know, in, in, profitable in the widest sense of that word, which is profitable from a financial perspective, but also profitable for the environment and the people in the area so that the, the economic wealth, jobs creation, the supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, all underpin and uh, add to the value that we can see from these sort of projects in uh, the UK's energy estuary. Given there, there's potentially is going to be a bit of a skills crunch on this front, what's, what's the pitch? Um, you know, you, you represent companies that work in this space. What, what's if you've got somebody listening who's who's considering moving into these industries? What's the what what's the benefits of of, of getting involved in in this kind of work? It, it's a great question. I mean, it's it, it, the the diversity of work, the different places that you can you can you know with with a skill um, in the engineering construction industry, for example, you're working on a number of different projects. Um, the pay is excellent. I mean, you, I, I won't name drop it here, but the, the pay for some of these roles is is, is amazing. Um, the, the the employers are really really good at looking after their workforce. They've they've, they've learned over the years how to how to make this type of employment work. Um, they they're really strongly into improving equality, diversity, and inclusion to make sure that the whole community can access jobs in in these areas. Um, so it's. It, it's a difficult one to describe, but not, you, not everyone needs to go to university. Not everybody needs to do A-levels. There are uh, so many great careers in industry that, that are, um, you know, that are achievable for so many people. And we have to do more work to, with, with our members and they want to do more work with us to, to improve that understanding of careers in STEM because they're very broad, very diverse and very exciting. And we're going to do some of that work um, with our catch members over the coming years. Really interesting insights there. Now, as part of the planning for the H2H Saltem project, Equinor and its partners have been holding various consultations with local residents and businesses, giving them the opportunity to ask questions, raise any concerns, and hear more about the project itself. While this formal consultation process is ongoing, we went out and spoke directly to members of the local community across the Hull and Humber region. They had a number of questions they wanted to put to the company, and Tangoy is here again, ready to answer them. So first we heard from Matt, a local business owner from Hull. Why have you chosen here rather than anywhere else? The potential concentration of CO2 emission on a small area, that's, that's one. Uh, the, uh, and, and multiple industry present on that side. I think the second is, is the, 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 the presence of a, of a transport and storage of CO2 there. I mean, we need this transport and storage of CO2. So having that de- deployed by East Coast cluster is, it was a must. I mean, you can't put hydrogen anywhere else than if there is a transport to transport and store your CO2 permanently. And I would say, finally, it's 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 the landing point of a, of a large quantity of gas in Easington, which, which needs to be decarbonized. So collectively, this, this Sultan became, uh, you know, quite an, an obvious choice for us. We had another question from a local resident called Chris, a creative professional who wanted to know about the potential impact on local residents. Will there be any like impact on local residents? Will they be able to see it or hear it or smell it? 
no, no smell. And, and again, we, we are going to sit ourselves within, within the Sultan Chemical Park, so there will not be any, any it's not a new greenfield land. We choose to be inside the Sultan Chemical Park, and and um, you won't be able to see from uh, the village of Paul or Aden that that uh, that uh, that there is a new plan. Sure, during the construction, we will have to engage with the local community. There will be there will be a construction activity, but but uh, but but when completed, uh, it will not bring uh, additional nuisance to to the local community. But again, we need. We need to engage and explain that to, to, to the local resident. In Sultan Chemical Park, hydrogen is already produced. So there's already some production of hydrogen on the site. So it's not like a new product that will be produced on Sultan. We also heard from Tessa, a digital marketing manager who was worried about the possible impact on biodiversity. Will there be any impact on wildlife and natural environment? Presumably if you're on a site that's already established, it, that will be very much minimised. We launch... Uh, what we call a win winter bird survey, which is part of the, uh, the consenting. You need to go twice, two winters in a row to, to observe the wildlife. And, and uh, there, is, there is some wildlife still around Sultan Chemical Park and, uh, and the port there. So we are going to use a site which used to have another plant a few decades ago, which has been removed since then. So it's, a, it's an industrial park. Uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not taking any farmlands. Um, uh, footprint, let's say, for this project. Paula, an HR professional, wanted to hear more about the project's timelines, which can often seem to stretch far into the future. How long does it take to build a hydrogen plant? Is there a specific date that you're aiming for to have it done by? It takes, it takes about um, two years to, to develop the engineering. We, we are aiming to, to be in position to take our, what we call our final investment decision by late 2023. And I would say the the detail engineering, the construction takes about three years. So we're looking at the start of this plant late 2026. Finally, Ian from Hull raised an important question about the potential economic benefits to the region. Yeah, what impact will the plant have on uh, the local economy? It's going to be a phase of development. So it will be peak construction time around 2023, 26, with uh, you know a couple of thousands uh, people on site or indirectly involved in the project. So there will be a a phase of investment. The, the total investment is in the range of 800 million pounds. So it's a significant investment for the region. So this investment will generate engineering, will will uh, mobilize the UK supply chain, not necessarily just Humber, but but beyond. And then you've got the, the operation phase, which will be a long lasting uh, impact for the local um, business and, and the local employment. Obviously, a really important critical success factor in any project of this type is the role of policymaking and how developers advocate for these projects on the national stage. Graham Stewart is the MP for Beverley and Holderness, the constituency that the H2H Sultan plant will be located in. And I started by asking him what he thought about the project and the potential impact on his constituency. So Sultan's a really important industrial site and uh, there's a, it's very exciting to consider that uh, from Sultan, we could produce not only solutions to our national challenges, but uh, potentially international challenges as well. And and by that, you mean that it, the way it sits right at the heart of this cluster for the whole region. I mean, how closely are you working with sort of other MPs in the, in the area and, and across, the, I suppose, the whole of the East Coast in trying to advance these plans? 
Well, there's broad support and uh, and recognition that we're going to meet net zero. And I was one of the first, uh, possibly the first Conservative MP to call for net zero uh, in conjunction, I remember, with Ed Miliband um, a few years ago, uh, having spent many years working on the kind of climate challenge issues myself. Uh, if we're going to do it, then we need to look at where the greatest emissions are and the biggest industrial emissions in the UK are to be found in and around the Humber with our refining, our power production uh, and uh, industry, etc. And salt ends at the heart of that. Um, and of course, if you combine the Humber with the Tees, which uh, uh, projects are looking to do, then you've got more than half, more than half of all the industrial emissions in the United Kingdom there. If we can find a route and an economic route um, to uh, moving to net zero for that, we will be making a significant uh, step for the whole country. And do, do you think that argument, that kind of focusing on the fact that these technologies are likely to become cost competitive, that, that they have a sort of strategic economic and export value, do you think that argument could resonate with those who are currently saying we need to be going a bit slower on this, we need to be wary of the high costs? Yes, and, and we need to show that we really are doing that. And if you look at offshore wind, it's a tremendous success. Did we um, go in with a clear enough plan to create UK industrial capability we could then sell? And I think the answer to that is no, we didn't. And therefore, this next generation, uh, and I've when I was a minister, I was the exports minister, before that the investment minister, so I was closely associated with this, was certainly working closely with Bayes, the business department, to tr get that recognition and to make sure that we just didn't have lowest cost of deployment, lowest cost of delivering this, regardless of the industrial capability. You've got to uh, not be naive, but you've, um, and we certainly don't want to cosset inefficient UK producers, but have a clear industrial strategy and i think that is emerging and has emerged and we've got to make sure that we if we do do all this that we actually have that industrial capability to make those exports for decades to come the final agenda that this sort of really plays into is is the idea of leveling up and and regional economic development i know you've touched on it already but if you could maybe just expand a little bit on why h2h salt end and the wider cluster project could be so important for you know, economic development for jobs and skills and in regions that that have had struggles with deindustrialization and 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 without this could that could continue, could continue to struggle to attract the investment that's needed. Well there's two points I'm making about that. One, yes, the very act of doing this is going to create a lot of jobs. It's going to bring new life to uh, directly uh, in the energy space. But uh, look at it again, and my second point would be going forward industries, various industries, some of which have been, you know, left the UK because of high energy costs and, uh, you know, other costs, may come back here. If we lead the world in showing that we can provide a net zero industrial cluster, then we're going to have a lot of competition from brands that are going to insist that their, uh, you know, input products or final products are manufactured in a net zero uh, cluster. And so there's there's a double opportunity, not only for us to clean up what we do already, but actually to make ourselves a magnet for companies to come and set up new production uh, in our area, because our area has the greatest assurances of being compatible with net zero. And that's why I think uh, a lot of the kind of work that's gone into uh, at shareholder level in companies in, in terms of the financial regulatory processes, et cetera, to uh, reveal um, and commit firms to greening their operations. 
that could come to help us as well. So I'd like to see more done to help uh, develop people's understanding of the potential there. And we ought actively, in my old department, Department for International Trade, should be actively wooing uh, companies to come in and be part of this story, not just like Equinor et al directly in, uh, in the energy piece, but actually to come in and do their production here because they will be part of, a, uh, of what hopefully may be the world's leading net zero cluster. Finally, I spoke to two people involved in local government across the region, from East Riding of Yorkshire Council and Hull City Council. I started with Helen Wilson, who is responsible for inward investment within the East Riding of Yorkshire Council, and I asked her how important projects like H2H Salt End are in stimulating inward investment for the wider region. I think it's starting to generate a lot. I think we we, we did a lot of work with the Greenport project to start with from, from the Siemens Gamesa turbine factory. We did a lot of um, uh, work in, uh, in trade shows uh, and through the work we've been done through through other uh, other companies. Uh, and that's attracted a lot of interest in the, the, the Humber as the, that UK energy estuary brand that we've been promoting from, from a renewables perspective over about the last five years, five or six years. How important is H2H Salt End and the wider kind of CCUS vision for, for the region in delivering on its its goals? I think, I think the Humber provides that. As you say, it is, we are the largest emitter. It provides that opportunity to test it at scale. You know, if, when this works, uh, when the technology is, is up and running and working, if we can do it here, it can be achieved anywhere. I presume that's almost, that's globally, isn't it? It's not just in the yes. UK. I mean, if you can show that a, a region as, as with so much carbon intensive industry as the Humber can decarbonise, then that that's replicable hopefully around the yeah. world and we've also attracted on you know on the back of this the part of the uk aea the atomic energy association uh, authority rather they they've um, we've bid in uh, a year and a, a year and a bit ago um for the step project the fusion energy project uh we've won from 15 who bid to host the site which is the spherical tokamak tokamak um, and it's around developing the prototype of fusion energy. We've put a site forward in these riding, and we're down to the last five now. So we, we're 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 seen as a you know a a, a centre for, for for new technology for how can we dem as a demonstrator site for developing these these new new renewable energy technologies. Mm, that's fascinating. So you you'd have almost all the pillars of zero carbon energy. You'd have renewables. You'd have hydrogen you'd have carbon capture and potentially next generation nuclear as well yes yeah so that is that fusion energy yorkshire is, is the brand we're hoping to 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 to, um, to push forward and that's working in partnership with the yorkshire authorities with the ukaa with the the uh, universities york university so it is a genuine partnership to bring this it to the uk specifically but if we can get it to yorkshire as well and to east yorkshire that that's really uh, a bonus Next, I spoke to Alex Codd, who is Assistant Director for Economic Development and Regeneration at Hull City Council. I started off by asking him about the role that local planners and policymakers can play in supporting and moving forward projects like H2H Salt Tent. Obviously, the, the challenge for all these projects at the moment, you know, they're all kind of under development in the pipeline. They're at that blueprint stage. Getting them over the line is very much the next step to build them. And, you know, to what extent can the the local council and local regional government support that when ultimately these decisions are kind of stuck in Whitehall to a degree whether we get the policy environment that allows these investments to happen with hydrogen the conversation is then through 
the local community, to our local councillors, to regular briefings in terms of starting to bring up their understanding of what it's about. Um, and that occurs frequently and over a protracted time period. What you can't have is just a, a developer turning up and putting an application in on some new technology and then expect it to go through when the members inevitably will get comments from the community of go hydrogen yes i remember there was that explosion many moons ago and that will be their first reaction so you've got to start to dispel those those myths and the best way of doing that is by by speaking to people and providing those opportunities for sort of one-to-ones as well and presumably i mean that skills part that that's a big undertaking because these are very highly technical highly skilled projects in many cases you know we've, the uk's talked a lot about its kind of stem shortfall that's something we all need to work to address it is, and I think this is where the Humber's got a real opportunity because if you get a, a collection of these types of industry in, then actually it, it makes people go, actually, there's more than one opportunity. I can go into that sector and I can potentially move around between businesses. Um, I'm building an expertise up in the Humber, which maybe I, I couldn't build up to the same extent in somewhere like London, where London usually is seen as the, the capital for so many things. Actually, we can make the Humber that in terms of um, low carbon energy sort of sector moving forward. Well, I hope you'll agree that was an absolutely jam-packed episode. A huge thanks to all my guests, Henrik Anderson, Pongi Cosmo, Katie Hedges, Jonathan Oxley, Graham Stewart MP, Helen Wilson and Alex Codd. And of course, a special thanks to those in the local community who pose such interesting and challenging questions. Join me next time for an episode focusing specifically on the changing energy workforce and the vital role that education and skills building must play in driving the net zero transition. Thanks again for listening.